Hey there, faculty and students. Welcome to this week's edition of the CR22 podcast. We're going to be talking a little bit about assessment types. The Longitudinal Progression and Assessment Team, who we also know as LPAT, has been hard at work putting together a list of recommended assessment types for consideration by our faculty and build teams in the new curriculum. This list that we're going to talk about today uh, comes from the world of GME, so might sound a little bit overly clinical at first, at least the first 10 types of assessment. Um, And they're based heavily on the ACGME's well-outlined and well-researched assessment guidebook. The guidebook is linked in this week's newsletter if you want to read more about each individual tool, because we're going to be just scratching the surface as we discuss it today. And then if you stay tuned at the end, we're going to talk about a few assessment methods that LPAT wants us to consider that do not appear in this guidebook, because they're more appropriate for the medical student level of training than they would be for um, graduate medical education. So I'll also say that that guidebook calls out specific considerations for implementation and validation of each of these assessment methods. So be sure to look for that. If you're interested in using one, you want to make sure that you're applying it and using it correctly. Um, And so again, that guidebook is a goldmine for uh, the first 10 uh, listed assessment types that we're going to talk about. And the first one I think is really familiar to everybody, and that's multiple choice questions. These primarily assess medical knowledge and somewhat to some degree clinical reasoning. We already use these in many places in our curriculum and will continue to do so. Assessment of medical knowledge acquisition through standardized testing has been extensively studied um, and it's valid and it's reliable. It's time friendly. It places a low demand on faculty members. And it also helps with something that's really important for a future physician, which is ultimate board certification exam performance. It's used at the graduate medical education level uh, for in-service training exams or ITE exams. It also allows pretty rapid feedback to the learner and provides some evaluation of the curriculum that the learner is exposed to. So all in all, we already use this type of assessment. We'll continue to use this type of assessment um, for all the reasons listed above, but we won't spend too much more time talking about it. The second assessment type is clinical questioning. And and clinical questioning also assesses medical knowledge and clinical problem solving. The challenge for the examiner is to really sort out strengths or needs in, in which area. It's a good alternative to multiple choice exams, but it doesn't have as much of the um, time efficiency or validation or reliability. It can be a little less feasible to implement too. An example of clinical questioning is sort of the standard learner activity during patient rounding. Um, this, This kind of questioning is not often summarized in a written form. So a, a classic questioning strategy is uh, often referred to as the one-minute preceptor. And um, up until a few years ago, I didn't realize that this was something that I personally applied when I have learners on my service rounding in the hospital with me, but it has four steps. Um, And I think the reason it was so natural for me is because I was trained in this model. So you get some sort of commitment from the learner as the first step, like what, what do you think is the diagnosis in this case? And then you probe for supporting evidence or ask about their underlying reasoning. What supports this? What contradicts this diagnosis? Then step three is where you use some high yield pearls to 
teach some general rules relevant to the topic. Sometimes people will use illness scripts here. And then number four is you reinforce what was done right by the learner and provide some positive feedback. Um, and in this step, you can also correct mistakes uh, or suggestions for improvement can be used here as well. Clinical reasoning um, can also be assessed using methods such as like Think Aloud or the acronym SNAPS, S-N-A-P-P-S. Um, and these methods prompt the learner to discuss how they arrived at the proposed action while allowing for the assessment of clinical reasoning and the delivery of immediate on-site feedback. So let's move on to assessment type number three, which is clinical problem solving. This is a little bit formalized, uh, more formal than clinical questioning, uh, which we discussed above. In clinical problem solving, there's, there's two rubrics or um, methods that I'm gonna share with you. The first one is called chart stimulated recall. Um, the, the second one is called assessment of clinical reasoning in the workplace. Um, so again, uh, similar to what we just talked about with clinical questioning, but a little bit more formal chart simulated recall. It's uh, an assessment tool that's used in the course of providing clinical care. So like a work-based assessment that complements chart audit by combining a review of the patient's chart um, and encounter with a structured oral examination. So this requires some faculty development. Many of us aren't familiar with chart stimulated recall, um, and it uses a predetermined set of questions to probe a learner's thought process um, in areas around the clinical assessments, sort of did they have the appropriate medical knowledge to get to the clinical problem solving component? Did, are there patient care and procedural skills um, accurate enough? Um, did they select an, an, the appropriate diagnostic tests or um, clinical exam maneuvers uh, and so on and so forth to treatment and management plans? You could also include questions about systems-based practice or health system science con concepts as well. It uses reflective questioning and prompted self-assessment you can also start to get at professionalism in some, some scenarios. That ACGME guidebook has some um, templated questions and some more literature and information about chart simulated recall um, that I know I personally will be looking into because this idea of formalizing that clinical questioning is really attractive to me. Um, and then that second instrument that I want to just highlight for assessment type number three, clinical problem solving, is the assessment of reasoning tool, which is a uh, validated instrument that is used by or was developed by the society to improve clinical reasoning in medicine. Um, and it's utilized to directly assess clinical reasoning skills in the course of patient care activities, like precepting or rounding. It also uses a guide to questioning, just like that chart simulated recall um, one does. It is formalized around hypothesis generation um, and understanding the problem at hand and then prioritizing your differential. So highly useful, I think, to clinical educators. The fourth type is um, evaluation of what I would call core clinical skills, like the history and physical, generating a differential diagnosis, communication with patients. And we most often evaluate clinical skills at our institution through our um, faculty global assessment forms. That's the most common um, technique for evaluating clinical skills at all medical schools. We often, we call these our um, SPEs or student performance evaluations. Um, all faculty members that are supervising scheduled rotations or educational experiences with learners typically have to complete an assessment of the learner, both at our institution and elsewhere. These are usually global assessments that include some sort of rating scale for some predefined competencies. Um, 
Some institutions link these to entrustable professional activities, the AAMC's entrustable professional activities, but we have them mapped to our competencies. I think an important point here from the literature that LPAT has, has pointed out to us is that in order to achieve validity through this kind of faculty global assessment form, you really need a lot of ratings, like seven to 11. And it's unusual for our learners to get seven to 11 ratings on a clinical rotation. So it does, it does um, raise that question for us about how to get more ratings um, in order to achieve validity for our learners. The clerkship phase build team is looking more into longitudinal and formative use of these types of forms. In the ideal state, a validated clinical skills observation instrument um, would be identified and then used throughout the spectrum in the DCS course, in physical diagnosis components of early clinical learning, in the hospital sessions, and then on the clerkships and into acting internships. We'll move on to assessment type number five, which is simulation. In general terms, medical simulation aims to imitate real patients and real patient scenarios or, or to imitate anatomic region, regions or clinical tasks. Um, and there's a whole previous podcast about simulation that I strongly encourage you to listen to for more information about simulation at UMass. And so with that in mind, such simulations can range from anatomic models to task trainers, to computer enhanced systems, maybe that respond to user actions. We might have low technology like standardized patients or high-tech virtual reality surgical simulators, if you will. Um, and, and really simulation is any uh, set of conditions um, whereas a simulator is a device used to aid in a simulation experience. So we already use a lot of simulation at UMass. We have standardized patients. We have um, less frequently used uh, higher fidelity simulators, mannequins. Um, we have simulated anatomy activities in our link curriculum. But in CR22, there's this concerted effort to incorporate um, more, more of these. Um, there is a program for virtual reality. We want to utilize these experiences more systematically, formally, and generate usable feedback and possibly even assessment for our learners in simulation scenarios. So assessment type number six, I'm going to talk specifically about one type of simulation, and that's the standardized or simulated patient or even OSCEs, which we'll break that down more in a second. Direct observation that occurs via simulation by patient actors is known as a standardized patient encounter. Again, we already use these frequently at UMass um, in the early clinical learning and even in third and fourth year to some degree. Um, the actors can provide education and training. They might also um, talk about performance of specific competencies. Personally, or at UMass, I should say institutionally, um, RSPs are highly trained to document and report back learner behaviors, to teach clinical processes, to rate interpersonal and communication skills, and, and provide timely feedback. They're um, particularly good for teaching first exposures to difficult scenarios like breaking bad news um, or uh, sensitive components of the exam. Now, OSCEs, which stands for Objective Structured Clinical Examinations, are formalized, standardized use of SPs in a series of stations, if you will, to assess and rate the clinical skills of trainees. So OSCEs are often used in sort of a higher stakes testing environment. Um, technically speaking, you can have low stakes OSCEs and you can have high stakes OSCEs, um, and that depends on their, their purpose. 
So there's also this increasing and interesting body of evidence regarding using unannounced SPs, sort of like secret shoppers in clinical settings, uh, more common at the GME level, but this enables an SP to really be embedded in the context of actual clinical practice. Um, and so I think that's something that's interesting and worth exploring. So assessment type seven, I'm not gonna talk about too much. This is direct observation of procedural skills. Um, this is where your trainee might be performing a range of procedures with actual patients in real clinical scenarios. So obviously there's not numerous opportunities for our trainees to participate on real patients. This is really geared more towards the GME level. Um, and for our medical students, most appropriately procedural exposure is often through simulation. So we'll move on to assessment type number eight, which is multi-source feedback. You may have heard this referred to as 360 degree feedback. It consists of um, some sort of measurement tool, like a survey or rating form that's completed by multiple people who interact and work with a learner and may have different vantage points or perspective of that learner's performance. So it could be used to rate professionalism, communication, you can have a different focus for that 360 degree feedback, but you should have a variety of sources lending their input to that. I think there are some preclinical opportunities in existence here and the LPAT team has identified a few. For example, in DCS, could potentially there be peer evaluations along with standardized patients and in hospital sessions, could we have hospital session patients peers and facilitators. And what about in the LPP or longitudinal preceptorship scenario where you have patients, an office staff, a facilitator, and maybe even a peer. I also wonder um, if the problem-based learning sessions allow for multi-source feedback from peers, self, and facilitator. So that's something for us to think about. We would need to decide on what the appropriate instrument or survey tool was in each scenario. And there's a bunch of tools in the ACGME handbook that we should look through. So for assessment type number nine, patient experience surveys, this is part of multi-source feedback, but it offers some additional data. And it's um, one of the sources. We talked about how multi-source feedback is multiple vantage points. This is singular, this is patient-centric. Um, and there's really mixed data regarding validity and the educational value. It's most likely gonna be an option for our more advanced students. It might even be an intro to health system science components if you will, since patient experience is often used in quality reporting and public reporting, um, and to some degree in value-based purchasing uh, and pay, pay for performance systems. So um, I will just say on a personal note, couple, we, we did this a few years ago in my department's acting internship. We coupled it with um, an introductory uh, didactic session on the patient experience. And uh, then we gathered patient satisfaction data for our acting interns. They found it um, informative, but it, it really lacked specificity or clear direction for their growth. And so it wasn't worth the time investment from faculty in, in gathering it. Um, the LPAT offers that this could be and should be integrated into clinical rotations. And there are a number of surveys that could be used to evaluate uh, patient satisfaction with a clinical encounter. Let's move on to assessment type number 10. This is the final one from that ACGME guidebook, but a really exciting one because we're really talking about instituting this for our, our learners at UMass. This is the portfolio. Since we, what we want ultimately, and we've said this in a lot of venues, holistic and longitudinal assessment system 
This is what we want. This, that's what a portfolio is. A portfolio is a collection of evidence that's intended to demonstrate an individual's learning journey over time. It might include things like self-assessments, reflective essays, assignments. It can be used for formative, summative assessment. Um, it can be used as a mandated record of achievement that you use to um, talk about promotion or advancement to the next phase of learning. It can be a documentation of acquired skills and competencies or case logs. Um, a critical requirement for a portfolio, though, is active participation by the learner. Um, and we already have some tools that have electronic portfolios here at UMass um, within our, our data and informatics infrastructure. Um, and there's a lot of active discussion about this idea of portfolios. So stay tuned for more. So the, the following few assessment types are, are not noted in the guidebook, but I think they're important for consideration at the medical student level of training, particularly in our new curriculum. So assessment type number 11 then is PBLs, TBLs, and CBLs. So problem-based learning, team-based learning, and case-based learning. There's lots of research and literature on the value of these mechanisms. Problem-based learning is an applied problem that's given to a small group of students who engage in discussion over several sessions. It, it, by definition, it's a multi-part activity. The facilitator provides supportive guidance for the students um, as well. The difference between PBL and team-based learning is that in team-based learning, the facilitator's role is really de-emphasized, and one facilitator may work with many more groups of students than they would in PBL. Case-based learning is a lot less formal. We have previous podcasts talking about PBL and CBL that I strongly recommend you reference and listen to if you want more information on that. We have a history of using PBL, TBL, and CBL pretty effectively in our link curriculum, and they already contribute to grades and will continue to in the new curriculum. As the block leaders are aware, there is a requirement to use PBL formally uh, within each block, uh, so more to come there. Assessment type number 12 um, is, uh, there are two types here, very short answer questions and open-ended questions. In very short answer questions, students might enter one to three words in a computer assessment as an alternative to multiple choice questions. Um, LPAT includes in their document, which is attached to this week's newsletter, art articles that discuss using systems to make the grading easier for very short answer questions. These types of questions limit the student's use of being able to rule out answers and using test-taking behaviors to arrive at the right answer. Um, students tend to perform lower as a result on this type of question because they can't use those cues built into a multiple choice question. An open-ended question is exactly what it sounds like. It's often lumped together with very short answer, but it's distinct in that there's more depth required for the answer entry. An interesting finding here is that students who must input information into exams as they do in open-ended questions leads to more in-depth studying for future exams. So it's a positive effect on future test-taking behaviors. I do wanna take a moment to talk about something that's not in that LPAT list that I'm gonna share with you, and that's assignments. When we're talking about assignments, we're referring to any task that's completed outside of contact hours. Might be reflective projects, essays, journals, they may or may not be assessed, uh, but what we expect them to be, we do expect them to be an important component of the curriculum in all phases assignments. When assignments are used for assessment, that's when people are going to judge how well a completed task meets a specific criteria. The assessor might be faculty, might be a small group leader, um, might be their peers. Sometimes assignments are just assessed for completion, and then only the only criteria is whether or not it's been done. If it is used for assessment, there needs to be an accompanying rubric that outlines some expectations. 
We might be looking at a clinical skills assessment. How well did the learner gather information or apply clinical problem solving or demonstrate medical knowledge to an assigned case write-up, a history and physical, a written note for an encounter like a home visit. Um, a assignment may be purely reflective or it may include multiple choice questions or very short answer questions or open-ended questions. So as each build team leader and faculty person and clinical educator is building your content, whether it's a longitudinal content area or um, one of our, our blocks or a clinical rotation, we want you to consider these assessment types and consciously identify which one of them is most appropriate for the scenario that you're trying to evaluate. And we are hoping that the application will be uh, consistent with your objectives and goals for that learning experience. Please take, take some time to read more about them in that ACGME guidebook that's linked in the newsletter, which I found really helpful. And a huge shout out goes to the Longitudinal Progression and Assessment Team for all their work collating this list and putting together this document, which is attached uh, on the newsletter to the newsletter for you to review further. Thank you until next week.